0: Why don't we all stand? There was a message preached in 1976 by S.M. Lockeridge called That's My King. Let's look at the Word of God, Luke chapter 24. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing the spices which they had prepared. And they found the stone rolled away from the tomb, but when they entered, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were per- perplexed about this, behold, two men suddenly stood near them in dazzling clothing. And as the women were terrified and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living one among the dead? He is not here, but has risen. Remember how he spoke to you while he was still in Galilee, saying that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and the third day rise again? And they remembered his words and returned from the tomb and reported all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now they were Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James. Also the other women with them were telling these things to the apostles. But these words appeared to them as nonsense, and they would not believe them. But Peter got up and ran to the tomb. Stooping and looking in, he saw the linen wrappings only. And he went away to his home marveling at what happened. And then Luke goes on to tell about two men on the road to Emmaus, and um, they came back to the uh, disciples. And it says this in verse 36, While they were telling these things, He himself stood in their midst and said to them, Peace be to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought that they were seeing a spirit. And he said to them, Why are you troubled and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see, for a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. While they still could not believe it because of their joy and amazement, he said to them, have you anything here to eat? They gave him a piece of a broiled fish and he took it and ate it before them. Now he said to them, these are my words, which I spoke to you while I was still with you, that all things which are written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. Then he opened their minds to understand the scriptures. And he said to them, thus it is written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations. Beginning from Jerusalem, you are witnesses of these things. And behold, I am sending forth the promise of my father upon you, but you are to stay in the city until you are clothed with power from on high. Would you pray with me, please? Lord, thank you. Lord, just as all of our baptismal candidates were all hidden behind the cross, would you hide me behind the cross that we might hear you, see you, and be able to respond to you today? Please, God, we ask in Jesus' name, amen. Amen, Amen. Amen. you may be seated. So the title of the message today is The Resurrection. And I only have two points. Point one is it's truth. Jesus appears to them and he says these words, why are doubts arising in your heart? You are seeing me. You have all the proof you need. It says that they were doubting, and then this crazy statement, because of joy and amazement. What is What is that? They had believed once. They had put their trust in him. They allowed their hearts to have hope, to believe that good and God would triumph over the evil in their lives. But then they saw the cross. They witnessed the trial of the Pharisees. They witnessed the the. Mechanisms and manipulations of man, and it ended exactly how things usually end with evil triumphing and this horror story of all of their hope dying on the cross. I don't know what you're like, but when I go through a great disappointment. Especially when I feel like I've been burned, where I was gullible, where I I allowed my heart to believe for something good, and then it was crushed. I don't know how you are, but I know how I am. Anybody that's a Packer fan actually knows this. (laughs) You protect your heart. You protect your heart and say, okay, it happened to me once. It's not, it's not going to happen again. I'm not going to let myself believe again. I'm not going to let myself hope again. I'm not going to let my heart rise again. And we take on this guard called Cynicism that calls us away from childlike faith from joy and amazement and wonder and we're 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 living in the real world and we're not we're not going to be drawn in we're not going to be taken in again and i believe these guys all hardened their hearts after the cross They, they, were, they were tough. And so even though they have got evidence right in front of their eyes, they are struggling. It's called worldview. Whatever your worldview, worldview is just your lens that you see everything through. And when you have cynicism as your worldview, it's very hard to believe. It's very hard not to think everybody else that's into it is kind of gullible, stupid, and believing what they want to believe. It's very hard to believe when you have that worldview. view. This morning, I do the one-year Bible every day, and this morning was Luke 18, and verse 17 said this. Jesus brought a child among them, and he said, unless you receive the kingdom of God like a child, you will not enter the kingdom of God. It literally, to be saved, to, to be a Christian... You actually have to change your worldview or you're not, you're not going to make it. You have to accept truth, the truth of the resurrection to be saved. All right, well, give me proof then. I'm, I'm with you, man. I'm, uh, I'm irrational. Let's go there. How, how are you going to prove that the resurrection is true. Well, scientifically, we can't prove it because you can't run it again. The only way that it can be proven is historically very much like a courtroom. You can't redo the crime. You have to get testimony of what happened. And of course, in the court of law, you can only have eyewitnesses. Those are the only ones that are going to count. Hearsay does not work in the court of law. So let's talk for a moment about the eyewitnesses. First, Luke gets it. He gets that he, he's right, the whole letter of Luke and Acts are written to a friend of his named Theophilus, who's some type of government official. And in Luke 1, 3, he says, the reason why I'm writing to you, or verse 4, he says, the reason why I'm writing is so that you can be certain of what you believe or what you have been taught. You've been taught some stuff, but I don't want you to just believe it because you've been taught it and because you've been told to believe it. I want you to know the certainty of what's happened. So he says in verse 3, I have interviewed the eyewitnesses. This is not coming secondhand. I have gone to the eyewitnesses, and the account I've made is from eyewitnesses. In Acts chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, Luke, of course, is writing, but it's the words of Peter, therefore it is necessary to choose one of the men who have been with us the whole time the Lord Jesus was living among us, Beginning from John's baptism to the time when Jesus was taken up from us. For one of these must become a witness with us of his resurrection. The the apostolic office that God has given to the church, which which is still around today. There are still apostolic people in the world today, but no one is like the first apostles. The first apostles were one of a kind because one of their primary purposes was to be the eyewitnesses. That they would be the ones that would hold the witness. These would be the ones that would carry the story and not change the story. And that's why they had to be there right from the beginning all the way through the resurrection because they were serving as eyewitnesses. Gary Habermas has debated the resurrection around the world. He's probably the the main guy who debates atheists on the resurrection. And so he's done a lot of work and a lot of study, and it's very interesting because of New Testament scholars, of unbelieving New Testament scholars, the majority of them believe that the disciples saw an empty tomb and an apparition of Jesus. Why do they believe this? How could an unbeliever believe that much? Here's why. Christianity started in the Middle East, and it started all on this testimony of resurrection, and the whole thing rested on the sincerity of the original apostles. They didn't have any position of power. They didn't have any money. They're, everything was against this thing. The only thing it had was the sincerity of the original witnesses. Ten of the eleven would die for what they believed, for no gain of themselves, no, no death of their enemies. They got nothing out of it, except that they thought it was true. And to get to resurrection, you can't just have an apparition. You have to see an empty tomb. You would never believe in that day apparitions of somebody that had died, that, you, that they were alive in another place, and you would see them in your dream or have a, have a mysterious visitation. Um, you would never conclude that that person was raised from the dead unless you saw the empty tomb and had this experience. The apostles, the first eyewitnesses, and then the second eyewitnesses that are very significant for us today are the women. The Bible says that Peter, in Luke here, Peter ran back. And you really got to put all four gospels together to get the whole story. Peter ran back to the tomb and looked in. Well, John tells us he didn't go alone. Peter and John went back to the tomb and Mary Magdalene went with them. And after Peter and John walked away in awe, wondering what had happened, Jesus first appears to Mary Magdalene. And she had been a prostitute. He appeared to women first. First. 20 years later in 1 Corinthians 15, they are, they are questioning the resurrection. Some people are saying that it's not that important. And Paul is making an apologetic. And he said, what I, what I received, I passed along to you. On the third day, Christ died for our sins. And, on the, and then he, 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 he rose again from the dead. Christ died on the cross. He was crucified for our sins. And then he rose again from the dead. And then he said, and there were many witnesses and he says there was Peter and then there was the 11 and then there was James and then there were 500 men that saw him. And he's writing in 50 AD and he's trying to convince them that Jesus is risen. And he doesn't mention a single woman. All the, all the women are out of the story. It's just the man that saw him. Why is that? Because in the first century, uh, women were not legal witnesses. You couldn't use the testimony of a woman. It proved nothing. So why is it so significant that the women are mentioned in all four gospels as the first witnesses? Because historians today look at that and they look back and they say, why, why would women be there? If, if this is not true, and we've got writers that are trying to convince people that it's true, why would you have women? Why would the women in all four gospels be the first ones to see him? And historians today say this. The only reason why it says that women were the first one to see him was because that's how it was in history, there was no gain for them to write that women were the first to see him. It must be true. These accounts must be the earliest accounts and must be reliable. And then you have these, so you've got eyewitnesses, and then you have these Holy Spirit witnesses. Jesus says to them, go back and you are going to be clothed with power from on high. And in Acts 1.8, it says why. You are going to receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you to be my witnesses. So you don't just have the eyewitnesses. You have these other witnesses that have experienced the power of God. So this year at our church, we're doing every service. We're doing a story, a Holy Spirit witness story of somebody's life that was transformed. And today we did baptisms, so we're not doing an official testimony. But we've we've had testimony after testimony after testimony of lives changed by the power of God, by the risen Christ. So a couple weeks ago, I received an email from a man, and he starts out by saying, "Nobody probably wants to hear my testimony." But I'm just, he said, I'm a huge introvert and I just feel like I need to tell somebody what has happened to me. So I emailed him back this week and said, could I read a little of your testimony? Let me read it to you. My parents forced me to get confirmed. And from that point, I think I was 17 Till a few months ago, I'm 28 now. I never stepped foot in a church again. Over the years, I grew more angry with the church. As I started to see how the world really is with all the violence and hatred, I couldn't understand why God would let this happen. From an angry childhood to an angrier teenager to a very angry adult, I had a lot of pain in my heart. I was never some aggressive, violent person, but on the inside, I was just angry at everything. The past year of my life has been horrible for me. I have a daughter who's three, and last June I found out her mother was cheating on me. We lived together for three years and had plans to buy a house and get married. I was humiliated, destroyed, and even more angry than ever. I started drinking a lot and basically just falling apart. I have a friend that's a Marine and deeply religious. We would always talk about faith and my issues with it. He's one of the few people I have very high respect for. So there came a point where I really hit rock bottom and I knew I needed to fix myself. So I did the one thing I thought I'd never do again. I called my friend and he took me to my first service at City Church. As soon as we pulled into the parking lot, I swear my life flashed before my eyes. All my childhood anger from church started coming back. I was just waiting for all the judgy looks and everything to start. I guess I don't really fit the typical Christian look. I'm 6'1, 220 pounds, avid gym goer with tattoos at my arm. I'll never forget this. We're walking in the lower entrance to drop his son off, and Tom, I've never been so nervous in my life. Someone opened the door greeted us, said good morning, and shook my hand. I thought to myself, well, I'm in, and that wasn't so bad. (laughs) Walking up the stairs, people kept greeting us and saying good morning, walking down the main hallway, just watching everyone with a smile on their face. No one gave me a funny look. I felt very comfortable and relaxed. Of course, I grabbed a donut and we sat down. Praise God for the donuts. (laughs) The music started, and for the first time in a very long time, for whatever reason, I already felt less angry. So all the announcements came, and then you came up. Now, growing up in church, I can spot all the fake people who just go to church for the image or try to justify the way they live. It's a big reason why I stopped going. I can't stand the fakeness that most churches give off. So you walk up on the stage, and in my mind, I'm I'm already trying to figure you out. It didn't take long. Honestly, I was blown away. I've been trying to remember which verses you were reading that day. It was from Romans. But all I remember is looking at my friend Pat and saying, I really think God is talking to me today. It's just so spot. To what was going on in my life. To how I was feeling, to how I was acting, and how I should fix it. I spent 11 years out of a church, and the first day back, it couldn't have been more of a direct punch. It was as if God was saying, I'm here for you. I have now since moved on with my life from all that. I wake up in the mornings happy. I no longer feel angry on the inside, even towards people that have hurt me. I've learned the value of forgiveness, and I can honestly say you in the church have saved my life. I really don't know where I would be right now if I didn't go that day. Not sure if my story is good enough to share or whatever, but I just wanted to say thank you to you. I'm a very introverted person and never thought I'd be emailing you any of this. Thank you. To me, that's evidence. Angry people don't get over their anger. It usually gets worse. So there's a movie out right now called The Case for Christ. It's the story of Lee Strobel. Lee Strobel was the legal reporter for the Chicago Tribune in 1980. He was a confirmed atheist. He had a wife. They had a daughter. She was pregnant with their second one. And then something horrible happened to her. She became a Christian. (laughs) She became a Christian, and it was all about Jesus and all about going to church, and would he come and see her be baptized? And he was so angry and so upset and just... Made her life miserable But he had this Christian friend That was also a reporter at the Chicago Tribune And he, he started venting to him About how he did not marry her like this And he couldn't stay with her like this and, and, and he needed to get his wife out of this thing She's crazy Jesus, Jesus, Jesus She's crazy And his friend said this Well if you want to get her out what you're going to have to do is disprove Christianity. And he's like, well, how would I do that? He said, his friend, who's a Christian, says, Christianity's all based on the resurrection. If you disprove the resurrection, Paul says the whole thing's not true. If the resurrection's not true, then we're still in our sins, then we're, we're actually of most men to be pitied because the whole thing is a lie. You just need to disprove the resurrection. He said, but there's eyewitnesses. There's, within a month of the resurrection, there's, there's over 500 eyewitnesses. And, and of course, eyewitnesses are everything to a legal reporter. And uh, so he decides that the first tact he is going to take is... How do we know there were eyewitnesses? How do we know the manuscripts that say there were eyewitnesses are true? So he, he goes over the, he, he finds a, a, a manuscript guy and says, how do we know the New Testament is reliable? And, and this guy's like, of all the ancient works, the the most validated is like the Iliad. And it's got, there's 200 ancient copies and, and they're 600 years after the fact. He said, for the New Testament, we don't have 200 copies, ancient copies. We have over 10,000 ancient copies. And, and 4,300 of them are in the within 200 years. And, he, and then he pulls out this, this guy that he goes to, pulls out this little strip that he's got all framed. He says, this piece from John was found in 125 A.D., in Egypt it is absolute proof that all of the manuscripts that the original the autograph copies were in the first century no question so then he decides okay that's not that I, i'm not going to get it that way so that, so they saw something they saw an apparition. So he, they, they these five hundred witnesses all saw an apparition at the same time. They saw something. There was emotion that was created, and so he goes to this psychologist that is um, an, an agnostic, and he explains the whole thing, and he says, "I think these guys saw an apparition," and she said. She said, Lee, it breaks all of the rules. If 500 people saw the same thing at the same time, she said that would be a greater miracle than the resurrection itself. It didn't didn't happen. Couldn't happen. So he comes back to his office and he's he's just horrible to his wife through all this. And he keeps threatening that he's going to leave her. and, And then he gets another theory. Jesus never died. And he's like, this is what the Muslims believe. The Jesus, it looked like he died, but he didn't really die on that cross. And so he flies out to California, this medical institute, and, and he finds this guy. Sure enough, guy is a brilliant doctor and an expert on, specifically on the crucifixion. And he explains medically what happened. And the blood and the water coming out and all the blood that Jesus had lost and they know what he died from. He explains it all in medical terms and, and he says, Do you do you believe in the in the medical journal of science? And he's like, Well, yeah, that's the that's the top one. And and he reads this article from them that says that Jesus died on the cross. He comes back and now he's just ranting at his friend. the 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 reporter and and he's so upset and the the friend says listen dude it's time to man up this is what reporters do you you don't get to have your own agenda you went after you tried to disprove this thing now you need to be man enough to write what you actually found and he goes down and he looks at, he's got this room where he's got all the stuff that he's found on the resurrection. And he has this epiphany and he comes back to his wife that night and says, uh, I, I'm, I'm in. I'm in. She doesn't know that he's been doing this. He just goes to work and he's been going long hours and he's been on these trips. She doesn't know what he's doing. He explains the whole process And he says this to her, he says, Honey, the greatest proof of the resurrection was not all of these facts I found. The greatest proof is that you have just kept loving me through all of this. Honestly, folks, if you're open to the truth, there are millions of witnesses today that Jesus is alive and that he changes lives. Just have the courage to, to look for it and have the willingness to drop your cynicism. I know it seems like it's too good to be true. This is the one thing that is, it's, it seems like it's too good to be true, but it is true. So secondly, the implications. And I promise this is my last point. Jesus said, it is written that Christ would suffer and rise on the third day and that the forgiveness of sins would be preached in his his name. This is the gospel. Paul says, what I received, I pass on to you. The basics that Christ was crucified for our sins and on the third day rose again from the dead. Why did Jesus die for our sins? Why would Jesus have to die for our sins? If God is a loving God, why couldn't God just forgive our sins? The Bible says that God's throne is established through justice and righteousness. God's throne, that is his rule. His rule for all eternity is established in justice and righteousness. When mankind sinned, God had ordained that the wages of sin was death. For God to arbitrarily forgive sin would be to set aside his justice and his righteousness, to set aside who he is as God. Love, God's love and God's justice meet together on the cross. We could not save ourselves. We are not good enough to save ourselves. We could never be religious enough to save ourselves. But we were loved enough to be given a, sa- to be given a savior. But the cross isn't enough. Jesus said on the cross, John 19, 30, it is finished. It is one Greek word, telosky, and it means it was an accounting term in that day that meant paid in full. And Jesus said, it is finished. It is done. I have paid the full price for sin. Pastor Tom, that sounds like enough. No just like it's not enough when you pay a bill with a check and you it's a it's a big check you got to write maybe it's to to for the mortgage of the house or to the bank and you give them that check and they might they might put on a paid in paid in full but everybody knows with a check it's not over until that check clears the bank you got to have sufficient funds to back up what you have said see the resurrection is the evidence, it is the proof that God gave mankind that Jesus is who he said he was. Jesus, Jesus said before Abraham was, I am. They knew exactly what he was saying. They picked up stones to stone him. He said, which one of my works are you stoning me for? And they said, none of your works, but because you, being a man, claim to be God. That's why we're stoning you. Guys, it is too much to believe that one man could die for all the other people in the world and all the sins of the world. How could that be just? The only way it can be just is if that man is God in the flesh. Can God choose to take the sin of the human race on himself and bear it for us? Absolutely. Jesus rose from the dead. And that means there is such a thing as forgiveness of sins. He took the judgment of sin so that you and I can have a new beginning today, tomorrow, but even more than that, we get eternal life with him. This is the ministry of reconciliation. Paul said to to, to preach the ministry of reconciliation, listen to what it is that God is no longer holding the sins of the world against them. God has solved the sin problem, and He's inviting everybody to come. Well, why doesn't everybody come then? Well, here's the difficult news Jesus said, that repentance and the forgiveness of sins will be preached in my name. He said in Luke 13, unless you repent, you will perish. There is no forgiveness without repentance. This is a this is a tough word for Americans. Repentance means to turn around. It means you had yourself in the middle and now you're turning around and you're putting Jesus in the middle of your life. You're living for a different reason. You're going a different way. You were going here for with self and now you've turned around and now you're not perfect. You're still struggling, but Jesus is the center. Jesus is the goal. Now here's what America tries to do. We want to live for ourselves, for our own agenda, for our own everything. And then we want to add a little Jesus on. Because we want to go to heaven when we die. We just don't want to live for heaven right now. And so we tag on religion and we'll say the prayer. and We'll even dunk. If you need me to dunk, I'll dunk. (laughs) And Jesus said, many are going to come to me in that day. And they're going to say, Lord, Lord, but they're not going to make it in because they just kept doing lawlessness. They just kept living for themselves. They didn't really ever repent. So it would be really, it would be really unkind for me to not give you the full message of repentance. But because I'm a logic guy, I want to understand, why, why is God demanding, if Jesus has already died for me, why is he demanding that I repent? I, and I'm, I, I want us to, I want to help you understand why this is so important to God. So here we are. This is uh, Philippians 2, 6 through 11. Although he existed in the form of God, speaking of Jesus... Did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant, and being made in the likeness of men. Being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. For this reason also God, the Father, highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name which is above every name. So that at the name of Jesus, every knee will bow of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. So here's why the Father will not forgive without repentance. Jesus and the Father, we have it that, that there was an agreement made before he came. Jesus said, I will prepare a body for me. The blood of goats and calves you did not desire. Make a body for me. I will go. I delight to do your will. I will become one of them. I will lay my life down on the cross. I will give everything. I will suffer for them. I will take the humiliation. I will take the crown of thorns. Father, I love them. You love them. I want to bring them back to you, Father. And I will do this for them. None of them are going to have to follow. None of them are going to have to believe. But even, even if they don't, Father, I'm willing to do it for you. I'm willing to do it for one. So Jesus did this for you. Jesus died for you. He came. He be, took on flesh for you. So the Father says this. If you're willing to do that for them, then here's my promise to you. You, you will be the hero of everybody's story. You will, I will demand that you become the center of everybody's story. That no one will be their own savior. That they will need to turn to you. They will need to follow you. And it will be to my glory. If they refuse to follow you. If they refuse to accept you. If they stand in their own righteousness. Their own goodness. And want to be their own hero. I, I will in the end. They will perish. They must turn. And they must choose you. Because I have he's He's the producer of the play, and he has cast Jesus as the hero. And I'm sorry, but there's only one hero in this thing, and it's Jesus. So I'm 19 years old. I had grown up in church. I was religious. I was the consummate person that was going my own way, doing my own thing, and trying to get a little religion with it. And somebody shared the gospel with me and shared what Jesus had done for me. And at the end of this illustration, there were, there were two circles. And one had S in the middle on the throne, and that stood for self being on the throne. And the dots were all messed up, and the cross was on the outside. And, and the other circle had uh, the cross on the throne, which stood for Jesus being the center of the life. And a small S next to him, and all the dots are lined up. And, and he says to me, which of these two lives is yours? And I knew beyond a shadow of a doubt that self was right smack in the middle of my life. For all my religion, for all of my prayers, I was definitely in the middle of my life. And I knew my life was a mess. I knew the dots were all over the place. So I pointed to that one and he said, which one do you want it to be? And I pointed to the one with Christ in the middle and that was... That was the beginning of my Christianity. That was the beginning of repentance. So here's my offer today. Let me tell you a story to close. So my brother, Mike... They got a new... T- has anybody noticed these TVs get, keep getting bigger and bigger and more awesome and more awesome? And, you know, so they got, they got another TV, bigger, better, more, whatever. And so they had a 60-inch TV that they were getting rid of. <laughs> if you can imagine this. A 60-inch TV and the projection was from the back, so maybe it wasn't as clear. I don't, I don't, I don't get it. I don't get all of the stuff, but... but they're like, well, how do, we, how do we get rid of this? And Angela, um, my sister-in-law, says, oh, that'll be easy. And you just, you just put it out on the curb, and, and I'm gonna go to three, she has three Facebook sites so she needs to get rid of something. And here's what she sends out on these three sites. One of them is like the McFarland Market or something. The three sites are this. Here's what she says. 60-inch TV that works. Here is the address to pick it up. No questions. There's only one stipulation. No questions. So here's what happens. She gets barraged with questions. But one guy... One guy understood, if, if I want this, I need to go pick it up. There's, I will not get a response to a question. He didn't bother asking. He got in his car, he went, and he picked up the 60-inch TV. And he's the proud owner of that 60-inch TV now. <laughs> there was a window of time. Where you needed to make a choice and you needed to act. Well, Pastor Tom, I've still got questions. You know what, friend? You're not gonna have all your questions answered this side of heaven. I'll guarantee you that. This is true. This has changed my life. This has changed the lives of many, many people that are just in this city. This is the truth. You're not going to get all your questions answered. I am sorry about that. If you want this, you're going to have to take the opportunities that God gives you. And I can't think of a greater opportunity than Easter Sunday. For whatever reason, you're here today. However, you got here, you are here today. Maybe you came to please Grandma. Maybe you came because it's Easter and that's what people are supposed to do. Maybe you wanted to just see what it's like and here you are. Guys, this has nothing to do with about me or about the culture. This is about you and Jesus. And today if you can say with integrity before God, I I am a sinner. I have sinned and I need a savior. My life has S in the middle, and the dots are messed up. The Bible says this. Here's how Jesus is thinking about you right now. He says, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in. Jesus is ready for you. Are you ready for him? Could we bow our heads for a moment? Close our eyes. I've got two groups of people that I want to pray for. First one is this. You are here and you are like me when I was nineteen years old. <laughs> Whatever religion you've had, you know that self is in the middle. And that you you are being called today to repent. You've been the hero, you've been doing it your way. And now God's calling you to repent and make Him the center. Instead of yourself. Jesus is knocking at the door. And you want to repent. And you want to ask him to come in. The reason why everybody's head bowed and eye closed. This is personal. It's between you and God. But somebody helped me open my door. So I love to just pray a prayer to help others open the door for the first time. So if that's you, would you just raise your hand real high right now long enough for me to see it. Jesus is knocking. I see that hand and that hand. And that hand. God bless you. Up in the balcony now. I see that hand thank you guys yep and then you can put those down I see that new hand yep you put those down anybody else by upraised hand this is just an amazing opportunity that God has designed for you anybody else by upraised hand okay I see that hand bless you if you raised your hand I got you sweetheart could you just put your hand on your heart right now if you raised your hand and pray something like this Lord thank you for loving me Thank you for dying on the cross for me. Thank you for bringing me to this church today to hear this message so that I could open my heart to you. Lord, I turn from being my own savior, from being my own hero. And Jesus, I open the door and say, come in and save me. Be the center. Be my king. Lord, I... Believe and I receive by faith right now. In Jesus' name, amen. Guys, if you prayed that prayer for the first time at our Welcome Center, we've got a little booklet called Now What? We would love to give that to you. So that's a free thing. If you've raised your hand today, please stop at the Welcome Center back there and pick up your free copy. Could we all stand together? So, this this one's for all the Christians. So, I learned something about that illustration with, you know, Jesus in the middle and then all the dots are all... I found out that there's actually another circle. There's not just the two circles. I wish it was that cut and dried. It's not. There's another circle where Jesus was on the throne but somehow self got back up there and Jesus is a little Jesus. He's, He's in... But the dots are still messed up. Jesus is in. You are a Christian. But somehow priorities have gotten rearranged. And you started getting in charge again. This happened to the churches in Revelation. Five of the seven churches. Jesus said, you need to repent. You need to repent again. It's about a month ago have you ever woke up in the morning where there's just a cloud on you and just everything is just bad and you know, one little thing goes wrong and another thing seems to go wrong and pretty soon everything's just wrong and I just had this weight on me and I'm like, God, what's going on with me and I just, I just feel bad and I feel bad about everything and, and a little verse was whispered in my mind here's the verse Whoever wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake in the gospels will save it. Will find it. Will find their life. And I realized oh i 'm trying to save my life i 'm trying to live for self protection i 'm trying to evaluate my life based on how am I doing and what am I getting out of it and how happy i am and and that 's the wrong focus I need to lose this life and i need to I need to die to that and and die to me being the middle and it all being about my life and my and I need to let Jesus be glorified i said father i I, I just repent I want Jesus to be the middle and Something, something just came off of me. Do you know how light it is to not have to be the man and to have Jesus be the man? To not have to be the all important person in your life, but even if things don't work out here that well, you know what? They're going to work out really good in heaven, guys. And that's lasting for all eternity. And so it's really an easy thing to just say, God, somehow I got back up on that throne. I want to be off again. I want you to take your rightful place. So if that's you, would you just open your arms like this and we're going to pray. Lord, it is just so easy as we go through this life to get ourselves back in the middle and back on top and And we just go back to kind of trying to use you to make our life better. And that just wasn't the gospel. (laughs) That wasn't the gospel. So Lord, today, again, would you take our lives? We want to renew our baptismal vow, that we are dead to ourselves. We're dead to us being the, the main show. And Jesus, we want to find our life again in you resurrection life so break every heavy burden in this place God that burden of self break every heavy burden and let there be a new joy a new fire a new excitement that I get to just live in the love of God and I get to love everybody that I find with his love Lord you made it so easy for us God, thank you for it. We love you and we bless you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, guys, have a great Easter.